KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K24A2BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is July 17th. 2018, (laughs) getting on into the 21st century. Oh, the threat, the threat, the, oh, the acts, the threat uh, to women's reproductive rights. Oh, golly, it looms so large on the horizon. I, I am losing sleep. Uh, I, I had a pile of horror stories about women and their uh, reproductive rights but I'll put it aside perhaps I can rethink it uh, surely surely things could not go back to what they were uh, uh, Roe versus Wade won the abortion rights uh, the uh, women's reproductive rights in all the states in 1973 Then in 1989, there was something called the Webster decision, and that threw choices back to the states, and chaos arrived that turned into, I kind of see it as a civil war. You know, there were were bombings, the clinics blown up, people killed, uh, murders, murders of the doctors, uh, This drove gangs, I can only call them gangs, like the people in Operation Rescue. Uh, They created a movement, an institution, the uh, pro-life movement. (laughs) Randall Terry was uh, head honcho at Operation Rescue. See Susan Faludi's book, Backlash. Uh, That's the book where she details carefully the misogyny and the behavior that characterizes the war on women. Takes more and more different forms, you know, metastasizes, I think is the word. Uh, You know, the word goes out and women are impeded, uh, not allowed to do this, that, and the other, uh, A few men in power have become deeply ashamed of their participation in the violence against women that still prevails globally. Uh, The the, uh, 
new right wing, whatever the hell that is, uh, uh, they they uh, promised to push legislation through, uh, and that justice, the new justice on the court, we don't know who he is yet, but it looks like he's just about as right wing as they get. I don't know. We shall see uh, if two, two, I think two Republican senators have come forward. But uh, in any case, his appointment is tragic for those of us who had hoped never, never to face the absolute prohibition of uh, abortion or anything to do with childbearing. The defunding of Planned Parenthood uh, is a threat. Uh, They continue to struggle to survive, keep their head above water. (laughs) My mind rolls back to the 1950s. Nightmare the ways we tried to live in a a subversive manner style. Uh, Some survived, others faced ruined lives. Ruined lives, survived, survived. Oh, I moan and groan, and it it turns into uh, a wail, uh, just a wail. I think of my failures as a teacher, my inability to hang on in the public schools. Uh, I was purged, of course, but still I should have tried harder, uh, Hard, hard, hard to know. Uh, I think Jane Fonda is working very hard down in Georgia. <laughs> She's trying to, trying to, you know, fix things there. Uh, anyway, what you do, what to do, what to do, boys and girls. Yes, as I said, we're getting on into the 21st century. When I was a student at Mills College... In the middle of the 20th century, in, say, 1953, my sophomore year, my favorite history professor was Miriam Goldeen. She told us that the dark birds of history were circling above us, uh, Cold War and so forth. Uh, <laughs> yes. She told us, yes, that things fall apart. The center will not hold. Hell, there is no center anymore. Uh, uh, Mrs. Goldeen loved ancient history, especially the Greeks. She was my personal Cassandra. You remember Cassandra, the Trojan prophet. She could see the future. She tried to tell the people what was coming (laughs) <laughs> and how to prepare for it. She, of course, was uh, enslaved, taken off to uh, <laughs> to uh, Agamemnon's home in Greece, where she was murdered, along with Agamemnon, by uh, Agamemnon's wife, Clytemnestra. Long story, you know. Uh, I don't know how we do prepare. Uh, oh. The people of ancient Troy didn't prepare. They certainly didn't believe 
when Cassandra warned them that the axe was going to fall and they were going to lose their nation uh, when their country fell apart well they did a lot of wailing <laughs> yes uh, I kind of think most times people never know what hits them you know until it's too late uh, poor Cassandra went mad she couldn't bear knowing what was in store for her beloved civilization, her country. Uh, I would say today that the angst, the incredible pain is looking around to see the beloved, the beloved uh, earth, the globe. Uh, oh, you know, keep off the grass. Yes, I remember looking up the other day, George Sand's last word. I love last word. She said something like keep off the grass, but it was in French, so I don't get it. Anyway, she was a, a green member of the Green Party in middle of the 19th century. Anyway, to know things, to see them coming and not be able to change the outcome, you know, have some effect on things. My teacher, Mrs. Goldeen, she told us, it was our duty, our task, to try to keep civilization going. You know, civilization, she said. Civilization is not a frill. <laughs> she said, life is not all about your private lives, your personal uh, relationships and all that. Uh, of course, that's part of the picture. Of course, she said, that's uh, part of it, but... It's important, you know, of course, we know, to be a woman, to stay at home, make peanut butter sandwiches, <laughs> you know. But if the peanut butter is poisoned, you know, you can't ignore the way things are going. Your children uh, <laughs> won't be able to uh, thrive. You have to know who's manufacturing this stuff and what are the real ingredients, so on and so forth. Uh, yes, just the facts, ma'am. Uh, of course, Mrs. Goldine told us, the family is your first love, first responsibility. Uh, the hearth, the hearth. Uh-huh. Also, she said, it's obvious that from there you go to your community. Uh, your culture, the whole ball of wax. She told us that as women, Mills is still a woman's college. Uh, <laughs> as women, we were in the best position to educate children, to uh, shape the future, uh, to give them a liberal education, liberal education I don't know what that means anymore. Back in the day, um, some of us even thought liberals were cop-outs. Uh, we were radicals or beatniks. Uh, now a, a, a liberal is as bad as you can get in some places. Uh, over the years, I watched the way a liberal education just melted before our eyes melting the drama department at Mills College 
uh, didn't close until a couple of years ago, but they finally gave up on that. Uh, maybe they teach film or something. I don't know. Uh, I could find out, but uh, <laughs> I guess I guess the change is permanent. That is, uh, our language, our language shapes things. We have become cautious. We're changing to suit the spirit of the times. The zeitgeist is growing weary. The, yes, the spirit of the age. Watch it, they said. Watch your mouth. You know, today, organizations like the Civil Liberties Union, they're demonized even by the left. Liberty, liberty, as in so many ages past, is still thought to be the freedom of your own tribe, your own religion, your own political party, you know. When minds close or shut down, language finds ways to support prejudice, uh, to support the (laughs) POV, point of view of the, uh, I guess, the prudes, most of them, the... uh, The businessman. <laughs> There's a word in Russian for a business person. It's very derogatory. Uh, anyway, Mrs. Goldine talked a lot about hubris. Hubris. Yes. She said that that was arrogance, overweening pride. Uh, the tragic heroes in Greek drama always suffered from hubris. They became, <laughs> yes. For us, I think it's a, the tag is that we'd become know-it-alls. We know it all. Uh, I think that the American government is uh, about as arrogant and prideful as you can get. We are still top dog. Uh, anyway, all this arrogance. Uh, the Greeks had it. The Romans, the Holy Roman Empire. Today, of course, nation states and giant corporations they demand freedom for themselves for their own uh, what is what do we call it their own uh, uh, their own government they demand the resources of any other state you know uh, any country we are so rich the rich nations just feel or think I guess, that the world's resources are theirs for the taking. I mean, those those ignorant people don't know what to do with it, yes. I remember my father-in-law in the 1950s, he worked for Standard Oil. He was out in the Middle East, yes, his contempt for the people, the locals, for their lack of technological uh, skills. Even their personal morals. I tried to explain to him that people had to survive and sometimes they did things that appeared to be uh, immoral to us. Uh, I remember when the United Nations was the hope of so many of us. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt trying, she she wrote a, a Declaration of Human Rights, you know, it was uh, basically the uh, U.S. 
Constitution and uh, the Declaration of Independence. I have it around somewhere in an anthology. It'd be a good thing to read just to remind us that it passed, that the United Nations accepted the notion of universal human rights, uh, liberty and justice for all. As I said yesterday's right wing sees the UN as an impediment, impediment, impediment. Or they just ignore it. Now, Mrs. Goldeen, my teacher, she promised us that when there is hubris, then the goddess Nemesis is always waiting in the wings. Hubris brings about Nemesis. Ate hubris nemesis. What is ate? Oh golly, I've lost my, <laughs> I've lost my uh, memory about the old Greek quotations. Uh, anyway, nemesis is the goddess of retribution, sometimes revenge. Uh, now, revenge it can take the form of vengeance. Aha. I think that's a negative reaction. Think about Afghanistan. George Bush the Younger avenging his dad. Anyway, vengeance only creates more trouble and pain. The notion that we are here to <laughs> to limit, to lessen the suffering of sentient beings... Uh, that gets lost. Uh, somebody said you can no more win a war than you can win an earthquake. This decision you remember of President George W. Bush to make war against Afghanistan. That, that action lost my nation all vestiges of morality. Lost the moral high ground. <laughs> yes. I remember uh, George Bush, the elder, saying, We must kick the Vietnam syndrome. Uh, now, no one with half a brain believed that Afghanistan was responsible for 9-11, but, you know, you got to do something. And besides... He'd been meaning to do it for a long time. Uh, anyway. Oh, no, I think kick the Vietnam syndrome. I think that was Grenada. I digress. So, so many things lead to so many other things. Dear, dear Mrs. Goldeen. She told us what was going to come. She certainly did not encourage us to save the world by becoming career women. She told us that the hearth, the the uh, meaning of the hearth, this is what life was all about. Uh, of course, it spread, you know. Uh, when a woman is head of state, she is the parent, the mother. She understands that it's her job to take, take care of folks, you know. And, of course, we know that our, our family, our little family there at home. That's the way to happiness. Uh, 
jobs for women. I I never could understand that, but I I'm sure that there are all kinds of reasons that uh, some feminists could give for women going out and bringing home a paycheck. I remember when you didn't need one. One paycheck was enough to raise a family, but uh, there are so few of us here in today's Western civilization who grow up in happy families. I don't think it has anything to do with feminism. I just remember how Mrs. Goldine loved the books and plays she loved. Oh, she loved the Russians, yes. Tolstoy's War and Peace, yes, yes. Charlie Dickens, the big novel with the big heart. Uh, never mind the dysfunctional aspects. Uh, she said that Charles Dickens portrayed happy families in his stories. <laughs> and, of course... He also drew a picture of the bad guys, but they always got their comeuppance. That's what they got. Nemesis. Uh, yeah, Charles Dickens knew that literature is all about love, even about lost love or lovers betrayed. The whole romantic scheme along with the familial stuff, how you take care of each other. That's what society means. In uh, in the Christmas story, Scrooge reforms, you remember, his great line is, mankind was my business. Yes, thus mankind is my business. Now, my own personal business is womankind, which, of course, includes mankind, <laughs> I remember. The dear old male professor at Mills. Women would complain about this uh, universal use of man and the he pronoun and so forth. And he'd put his arm around you and say, well, dear man, linguistically, man embraces woman. <laughs> Give you a hug, you know. And things are changing this corporate oligarchy, which in recent years they have consolidated, yes, from January 2016 to January 2017, they squeezed down to only a handful of what they call asset managing firms, you know. See Oxfam International. Ah, yes, the world is all one, one giant corporation within which there are still new age dreamers trying to create an alternative world. Ah, the culture of compassion as opposed to the culture of cruelty in which ah, your main, main product is military hardware. Oh, that's Big money, boys. I think of Shaw in all Shaw's plays. He always has a, a, a business person who's usually manufacturing, oh, well, dynamite in those days. Uh, that's the one with the cash. Uh, Mrs. Goldine knew it was an illusion then as now to have this alternative culture, this 
culture of love. Uh, the hippie culture. It was coming. It was coming. Uh, the beatniks had it, but uh, she told us, even if you fail, she says, it's better for your health. <laughs> it's worth worth working for, create a human existence, even if it's for a short time. She told us all about the goddess Hestia, who's always been my pick. Hestia is the goddess of hearth and home. Metaphor, of course. Uh, I remember Golda Meyer saying she was the was a mom and pop store there, you know. Anyway. Anyway, the American dream is justice justice, uh, elusive. Still, it's worth searching for. I remember John F. Kennedy saying in one of his speeches, uh, he was talking to foreign visitors, I think. uh, He said, look not at what we are, but at what we are trying to become. Just imagine our present head of state saying that or anything else that indicates thought or self-effacing reflections, uh, any hope for a wiser world, you know, a better man, a wiser woman. Now, Mrs. Goldine's conclusion (laughs) was all about uh, the conflict, the terrible conflict between uh, art, yes, Art and uh, art and politics. That's what we were worried about. Those of us who didn't want to be politicians and didn't want to be in business. Uh, oh, what was it we fought about? She said, art is always beyond politics, but it's never above them. I think she was quoting Neruda or somebody. Uh, she said that no matter what the artist does, no matter what the romantic does, politics will dictate his existence, his life. Uh, most artists are just too self-centered to listen to the Cassandra, Cassandra prophecies. And then it's too late. Now, when they do listen, they should use their art as a warning. Sometimes it happens. It's a pretty good TV series I've been watching called Genius it portrays Einstein, the first season, I think eight to ten hours, something. Jeffrey Rush plays Einstein, and Emily Watson plays his second wife, uh, <laughs> the one who lasted, who got him out of trouble. Uh, season two is all about Picasso, played by Antonio Banderas. And I think that one is finished up. I think they're both complete. If you have on demand... Uh, Just look for Genius and you will find uh, two incredible series on incredible men. Uh, It's the argument for science and for art, uh, ignoring politics. Terrific show. We see Picasso being warned by his intellectual girlfriend, Dora Maar. She sees the dangers of fascism and she pushes him to paint Guernica. That painting, of course, is is a hammer, what uh, Bertolt Brecht called a hammer, yes. Uh, Picasso was a Spaniard, and Guernica portrays the bombing of a small village in Spain. Even the horses are screaming. 
The painting was not shown in fascist Spain, I think, until Franco died. <laughs> uh, such a mess, such a mess. Uh, in the film, you see Picasso finally trying to become a communist. And is quickly disillusioned when he learns that artistic freedom will not be allowed by the Communist Party. Uh, it's obvious that art is politics. Takes a while to come around to that point of view, of course. <laughs> Einstein says that everything, yes, everything uh, is, uh, is in recognizing, you know, what the big things are. Uh, it takes the the death of his uh, Jewish friends uh, to change his mind. I wish I had time to tell you about Picasso's Jewish homosexual friend, Max Jacob. Max Jacob. I just love that guy. He and Gertrude Stein. <laughs> yes. Picasso's younger years. Maybe I have time to talk more about Picasso next time. Uh, this has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I'll be back again same time next week. Till then, go easy. If you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Listeners, friends, comrades, thank you for coming to KPFA's author events, thereby supporting KPFA as well as many independent progressive writers. This is Bob Baldock, assuring you that Ken Preston, Catherine Horsley, and I will again this fall be offering you remarkably inexpensive seats to hear and meet such relevant writers as philosopher Martha Nussbaum, Chris Hedges with his new book, America, The Farewell Tour, Dee Dee Guttenplan of The Nation magazine, Michael Lerner of Tikkun, the profoundly wonderful Alice Walker, Peter Phillips 